Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's a fantastic Sunday for Charlie Hoffman, making a nine-footer for birdie on the 72nd hole to win the Valero Texas Open by one shot. His fourth career PGA Tour title at the age of 39. Interesting, in all four of his wins, after 54 holes, he's been multiple shots back. So Charlie Hoffman coming through on a Sunday. Lisa Cornwell, Rex Hoggard. Well, Greg, like, uh, great to be with you here on this Monday scramble, getting caught up on a lot of things. But hey, guys, we have Tiger Woods news. There you go. This is that that right? Exactly. I mean, out of, we Sage, heard the roar. out of Sage Valley, hitting not just so, uh, shots in the simulator with a nine iron, but he's going with a driver. We're seeing him hit the two iron stinger. Uh, surprised to see this? Uh, a little surprised. You know, he's talked all along about there's no timetable, and this one was always going to be different because he didn't have that timetable. He didn't have something to build towards. He talked about it last year in December when I was down in the Bahamas for his event, and it's good to see. I mean, that, that's much better than what we've seen recently, and certainly talk, uh, Nota McGay spoke on the morning drive last week saying that he's closer to the back end of his rehab now than he is the front end, so all of it's very encouraging. Now, doing this on the range in front of a bunch of juniors is much different than doing it on the PGA Tour, so I still... I'm curious to see when we're going to actually see him back on, out on the tour, but it is encouraging. Rex, as you know, it's a process. It's always a process. It's, it's just a process. That's how we have to deal with these things. It's I feel always like this a is, cynic, too. I Go feel ahead. like this is like golf's Zapruder film, that we're breaking down these like 16-year-old kids <laughs> with the shaky iPhones trying to, trying to get Tiger Woods' swing video to, into, the, into the Biz Hub camera before someone scolds him about it. I mean, it's, it's good. It's progress. Uh, but, yeah, I think that the, the key test is going to be when he actually steps inside the ropes and hits a shot that counts. Nice color choices, by the way, guys. It's spring. We have to. I'm glad that I know. I'm glad that I'm the one in black, and the two guys are wearing the the colorful. Shows kind of your the window. Getting ready for the Kentucky Derby, maybe. The window for pastels is very short, so you've got to just get it in while you can. You jumped right through it. You've got, it, you've got to just own it. <laughs> jumped right out. Yeah, of it. Uh -huh. yeah and here I am. Uh, anyway, uh, but but with but with tar with Tiger watching him watching him swing, he's still not. Even though he's hitting full shots, these are still not Tiger Woods' full shots, 124-mile-an-hour driver swing. Yeah, it, it's not. I mean, it's a step up from what we saw, the 9-iron the in the simulator that was maybe more like 75 miles an hour. But yeah, Which we I, would all take, by the way. We would. Yes. We yeah. would. But, yeah. you know, right now we're still working in an information vacuum. You know, Mark Steinberg is saying that there's no update, there's no timetable. No timetable is the, the Tiger Woods phrase of 2016, whereas 2015 might have been activating glutes or, or uh, getting caught between release patterns. But in, in lieu of actual concrete information, we're left to grab at these little bits of swing video and we're trying to gauge progress and, and that's what we have to go on. There is a case study here. There is some history here. I mean, we've seen this before when he's come back from injuries, whereas he's sort of 
I don't want to say leak this out, but there have been indications that he's ready to come. So it's not always a huge surprise when you see his name on Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock that he's playing in that next week's event. And certainly Tim Rosefort suggested that we shouldn't be surprised if we do see him, not only at the Wells Fargo Championship, but the players. That opens up a lot of questions in my mind. If he's just flat out ready to play, if he feels like he's at home playing 72 holes, walking, he's got the speed up, he's got everything he wants, that's great. But this is curious. Quail is not an easy walking course. Very, very thick rough. It's a long walk. It's going to be a difficult test for anybody, particularly if you haven't played a round of golf since last year's Wyndham Championship. So it is curious to me that he's picking this week to come back. Not saying that the players the following week is any easier, but it is a flatter walk. You don't have rough. You're hitting out of the pine needles if you're sideways. So it, it is a curious decision. I mean, other than the idea that he's sitting at home just chomping at the bit, this is the only thing I can imagine. Well, the stadium course has kind of kicked him in the teeth a couple times before as well. It's not like that's been a walk in the park, even though he has won there two times. But we were talking before the show. If you look at his, what we think of as the potential Tiger schedule, looking at the events that he always plays, mm -hmm. there's not going to be an easy course coming up for him to play. It, we're, we're going from Quail Hollow to Sawgrass to Muirfield Village to Oakmont, which is kind of the pinnacle of courses you don't want to start a, a recovery from. And then you go right into even Congressional at the Quicken Loans National. So... Uh, there's not an easy one in the rotation. We're used to seeing him come back on the West Coast. Where, you know, he's got the cozy confines at Torrey Pines that he usually likes to, to kick the rust off, and that window has passed right now. Sedgefield at the window is looking really good right about now, isn't it? Well, you've yeah. got to ease your way yeah. around. Not, not well, really Donald Ross Greens. Yeah. Do you think, can we assume that he, that he has something mapped out yet? I mean, he still says that he's trying to get back into shape and still working on sort of the rehab process. Do you think he's physically there yet? I, well, that's two different things. I think that he probably has something mapped out, and I'm not sure that he's physically there yet. And I think that it, he's got he's to use the plan to figure out the answer to that second question. Yeah, regardless of what he has told us all along, that he doesn't have a plan, that, look, this is day by day, I, I can't map anything out. You don't get a type A personality that's just going to wing it. That's just not his personality, and nothing against him. There's a lot of tour players, a lot of journalists that are the exact same way. So, no, I think he's had a plan all along, but you're right. It boils down to if he's physically ready. And look, he's done this before. He's got to be able to walk four straight days, 72 holes, with, without any signs of pain, without any signs of setback down in South Florida before he ever gets the idea that he's going to play on the PGA Tour. I'll be, I'll be honest, I'm winging it today. I am totally winging it. <laughs> no, you Not got it always. all mapped out. You're good. <laughs> yeah, I don't have it mapped out. I'm just following it. Okay, what about the ESPN report that came out? I was down at the Bahamas when that writer, Wright Thompson, was down there working on this story, and he's a fantastic writer. I mean, we've read it, and it's a great story. I don't know that there's any revelations in there. I mean, there's a lot of very, very cool details, and, and you never want to take anything away from another writer, and he did a lot of legwork, but I think there's a lot of things in there that we knew, that he was always struggling after his father died, and he maybe lost his way a little bit, and that he is a little aloof when he's in public, particularly, that he's never felt entirely comfortable in the spotlight, so you get a, a much better glimpse at all these things, but it's things that we've talked about for a long time. I do think that Tiger, when he's competing, is such a moving target, that there's always, he's adding to the legacy, and adding to the mystique and whatnot, and now he finally had six or seven months where he's stationary and you can really you know the 40th birthday was a big milestone for him it's going to be 10 years since his father died next next month and so you're able to stop and really take a look back at a crystallized legacy of tiger and really kind of see how 
pieces got put together, how he got from point to point. Yeah. I think the Ray Thompson did a great job with that, but uh, it's, it's an interesting look on Tiger that when he's winning five, six times a year, you don't necessarily have the time to really take stock of it. Well, look, and it makes sense. I mean, you think about it, you know, when we were kids, I, I grew up playing golf with him, and so I was around Colonel Woods and saw just the whole impact that, that he had on Tiger, and there was a protectionary sort of, I mean, more so than most because he was so much in the spotlight. And you know, when all of a sudden that goes away, I cannot imagine having to deal with that and then having to deal with it publicly the way that he did. Well, and I think that in a lot of ways, Earl provided some cover for him and provided someone that... Look, a ton of cover. Absolutely. And when you talk about a guy that he doesn't have a very large inner circle, let's be honest. I mean, as best you can tell, it's Mark Steinberg, his agent, and Joe LaCava, his caddy, and that's just about it at this point. And Earl was always that guy at the center of the circle that if Tiger had any huge problems, he could go and they would work them out together. There was interesting parts of the story. We had heard about, you know, Hank Haney had written about the Navy SEAL training in his book. I don't think it was nearly as, I didn't think it was nearly as extensive as it turned out to be after reading this story. It certainly had an impact on, whether it had an impact on his on his body, on these injuries, I don't think anyone will ever know, but it certainly seemed to have an impact on where he was from a competitive standpoint at that point in his career. I still think you have to look at this as, as a two-sided thing that, yes, there was probably some aspects of this that after his father died that it, it kind of led to his downfall or, uh, you know, exacerbated tendencies that were already there, but it also is the stuff that brought him to such pinnacles beforehand, and it's, it, one doesn't go without the other one, so it's, it's really a package deal. What are, we, what are we looking for next? I mean, you guys are always digging and trying to figure out, you know, what is the next thing from Tiger? What, what are you looking for next from him as we go forward with the story? It's always the question if the body can hold out. I think the mind is willing. I and mean, I think we saw glimpses of that last year, certainly at Wyndham. I mean, he wants to be out competing. And it's not just hanging around with the friends. I know he talks about that a lot. It's not just hanging out on the tour range, because let's face it, he's not the most warm and fuzzy guy, even in recent years, and he has opened up some. This is about the competition, and his mind is there. I'm sure he still wants to compete, whether or not if that's for Jack's 18 majors or if that's just for major number 15, whatever the case may be. He still wants to be out there doing that. Will the body compete? I mean, that's the million-dollar question at this you point. You say that you don't know if, he's, if it's the 18 majors. What about Sneed's 82? You think that that's pretty heavy on his mind? He's mentioned it's more that attainable. more than Jack. I think, I think he wants major 15 more than win 83. Okay. Or I major think. number 18. Absolutely. I think major number 15 would be a huge milestone for him on many, many levels. Yeah. What are you looking for from Tiger? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that a lot of what Rex said is true. I think that we saw Noda Begay had mentioned this in, in Ray Thompson's report that I think a lot of what's going on right now with Tiger and, and having no timetable and whatnot is that everyone seems to have the understanding that this is really his last best chance, that he's come back prematurely before, the injuries have not been fully healed when he's tried to, to return to competition, and this time it seems like he's going to take his time because he seems to understand that this is really his last best chance to make a run for whatever goals he has, whether it's major 15, 18, 83 wins, or just being competitive on the PGA Tour, that this is... He, he has one bullet left in the chamber, and he needs to make it. And count. I don't know if I agree with that. It, it might no. be his best chance. I'll give you that from a physical standpoint. Yeah, being we're the fact talking. He, I like the He's 40 years old. It's not his last chance. He's 40 years old. There's plenty of guys. Davis Love beat him last year at Wyndham at 51 years old. There's plenty of guys who are competitive much, much later in their career. We're treating 40 like it's the new 60. No, we're treating Tigers 40 like it's the and new 52. It's, it's a hard 40 years. I think, Tiger, I think Tiger's body at 40 is older than Phil's body is at 45. Oh, without a doubt, and Phil certainly had his share of health issues as well, but I don't think for a minute that if something goes wrong over the course of this next six months, eight months, whatever we pick, if he, has, if he ends up back under the surgeon's knife, I don't think that's it for him. I don't think we call it quits. I don't think he has it in him yet. Now, 
if he gets to the point where he wins that 15th major, if he gets to the point where he beats Sam Snead's record or matches Sam Snead's record, then all of a sudden I think he starts co contemplating in his mind, well, I've accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish, more so than what this injury or the next injury may do to him. Yeah. I, I can see that the, it can go a couple different ways, but I just... I like it when Rex backs up. I mean, well, he's, no, he's, listen, I, he's put on the boxing gloves there. Yeah, no, I, I just think that, I mean, I agree. He's not going to know when it's time. And I think that happens with they, a lot none of, of them. Do. With, with every great athlete, you never wake up and you're like, yep, that's it. Let's, let's call the press conference. Yeah. So, Kobe uh, did. I mean, I'm just saying. Well, I can't. Kobe called the no, press conference. No, he did, but I think it took, him a, points. <laughs> it, it, it took him a little yeah. while to get there. Though. Okay. Right. Yeah, so I just think that. I just think that he really is putting a lot of time and effort and energy into this time because he doesn't want to face what else what's is he going next. To do, though? He's got a lot of video games to play. Well, I mean, in the right option store, I think he has a restaurant, he has a design business, he's got a foundation. Sure, all those he's things got two are great. Kids that, Michael that Jordan was the best part of that Wright Thompson story because Michael Jordan has been there. Yeah. And it's the hardest thing for an athlete like that to do, to wrap his mind around the idea that I'm done. I'm not going to be great again. And that's where he's going to have to get. And I don't think he's close to that, at least not yet. Okay, so while so many question marks remain with Tiger Woods' schedule, we know something for sure with Adam Scott and Louis Ustase, and they are both out of the Olympics. They've withdrawn their names. I guess just your reaction uh, to this news. Surprised? I mean, a little surprised. This has always been the, the elephant in the room that this schedule in the summer of 2016 was going to be an issue, that we're trying to cram so many marquee events into a short time frame and you still have so many other obligations for players be it on course off course with sponsors with events that they like to play that there's just not room for the top guys to do everything and well, yeah Does this, do you think it has anything to do with the zika virus i mean honestly with adam scott he's newly married well, uh, Vijay Singh, who you didn't mention, right. of course, he withdrew his name last week during the Hilton Head, and I, I talked to him about that. I broke that story, and he mentioned the Zika virus, which I thought was interesting. Uh, it, they have been told, and officials down in Rio have said, that that time of year, that it shouldn't be an issue. Now, certainly for a player who's in his 50s, he probably doesn't need to worry about the Zika virus as, as much as some of the other athletes who will be staying in the village. So he mentioned it. I'm not quite sure if that's really true. I, I think the bigger issue here is, look, and they took a lot of heat, but Adam has been really adamant about this. Mm -hmm. He has said all along that it really doesn't mean that much to him. And, and I certainly understand where he's coming from. Louis uh, is kind of new to the dance, but I certainly understand where he's coming from. My bigger issue is with the tours. Yep. They had years to work out a schedule that worked, and they couldn't come up with anything. And look, th this was going to take some give and take. There you see the schedule. You start at the U.S. Open, go straight to Bridgestone, which now up against the French Open created its own problems. You have Roy McIlroy today announcing that he's going to play in France instead of the Bridgestone. Shane Lowry, who will be the defending champ at Bridgestone, mm -hmm. he'll probably have to make another difficult decision. You have the Open, the PGA, two more majors, the uh, Olympic men's competition, and then you get into the playoffs in the Ryder Cup. There is no break for these guys. And I think the problem was these tours needed to sit down, and not just the PGA Tour, but the European Tour and everyone else that's involved in this, and come up with a workable solution. That means taking probably taking events off the calendar during those Olympic years. So you play three, four, less, fewer events than you would have otherwise. And it also makes the, the other bodies, the RNA, uh, the PGA of America, these other bodies say, okay, maybe the PGA has their major that year in the spring to open up room on the back end of the schedule. You can't expect players to, I think I did the math once, the last 16 weeks of the year, there's 11 basically must-play events for a PGA Tour player. That's too much golf. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I agree that 
Uh, you know, up for that was good. That was good. But <laughs> I mean, the powers that be, we saw in what 2012, 13, 14, we're working on it. We got it. We're going to figure it out. We're going to put the pieces together. And it was just a, it was punt after punt after punt until they got their backs up against the wall. And then you have this this situation like we see with the Bridgestone and the French Open, where you're going to probably have a better field or as good a field in France as you are at a WGC event, which the optics of that are certainly not what the folks in, in Ponte Vedra were looking for. But uh, it's, it's just so tough to, to ask these guys to be everywhere. I do think what you were saying before, I think the best option is going to be to move probably the PGA Championship and have that played in February once every four years. And I think they talked would, about it. Yeah, and yeah. I think that would open it up. You could have a lot of different options, maybe taking the PGA internationally. And fewer events, you absolutely need to have fewer events. And that means that two or three events are probably not going to be played in, in Olympic years. That's the way it's going to be. And you're absolutely right. They kick the can yeah. down the road until these players, the players who are currently qualified, they had to make a very tough decision. And in Adam Scott's place, he's not very popular in Australia now because of it. But even just some of the, the micromanaging of this, I go back to Firestone in this event. It's a pretty short trip from Akron to Pittsburgh. You've got the U.S. Open at Oakmont. The fact that you couldn't get a WGC event, that's always played right next to the PGA Championship. The fact that you couldn't get that on one side or the other of the U.S. Open, allow international players to come in and do a two-week stretch like we see with Americans mm -hmm. going over to play Scotland and then the Open Championship. I mean, you're trying to get guys to come over in the middle of June, end of June, and then and then come back later. Some, and I think it's surprising to see a lot of people do it. But Rory McIlroy, to me, was just a shock. I don't know what you got, how you all reacted, and mainly just because of location uh, following the Open. But then. Um, it's a WGC event. I mean, we're talking limited field events, and yeah, but I, I think the, the, purpose. the battle lines are drawn here. This is yeah. the, the the European Tour put drew the line in the sand when they said that the the Open to France is going to count as two starts in terms of you know players trying to qualify for Bridgestone's not going to count. Yeah, Bridgestone counts as zero. French Open counts as two, and so they're really you know rallying the troops and they're trying to get the top European guys to play in France. And and I think that there are a lot of people on the European Tour side, and players included. We talked to I remember talking to Ian Poulter last year at Firestone that they were upset that they have put this the WGC event next to the French Open, which is one of the longest standing national opens on the European Tour. It's an event that's held in high regard over there, and they're, they're putting players in a difficult position. And when I was in Abu Dhabi earlier this year, speaking with a lot of European Tour members about the new commissioner and some of the things he had done, all of them went to this and said this was a line in the sand that the European Tour had to draw because they, they don't want to start a turf war. That's not what this is about. But they had to protect their properties just as the PGA Tour would protect their, their own properties. And again, you're forcing players to make very, very difficult decisions. And we're going to run into this in four years, in 2020. And I don't see, I mean, they, they pay, pay a lot of lip service to the idea that we'll get this fixed. I, I don't see anyone sitting down at a table and coming up with a workable solution yet. Do you think that this whole idea, this happening, will hurt or help the talks that we've heard and read about and you all have reported about of the tours combining? Does it hurt it or does it help it? I, I don't think that's anywhere imminent. I mean, again, it, it might have been at a time, uh, the new commissioner who took over the European tour, I don't think he has any interest. I asked him point blank about this, and he doesn't see it happening anytime soon. My guess is Commissioner Fincham extended for a year. He was supposed to be done in January uh, to work on a few projects. From what I've heard, one of those projects is trying to come up with this more of a world tour concept. Now, I don't think that necessarily means the PGA tour swallowing up the other tours. I think it's more of a World Cup Premier League type thing that they're trying to create. But... Something like that would be workable. Something where the PGA Tour just walks in and takes over. I don't see that in the near future. Yeah, I mean, we're already pretty close to 
not necessarily a world tour, but you know what the seven, eight, nine, ten events that are the most important on the golf calendar are, and all the players, whether they're in the U.S. or in Europe, are pretty much playing those events. It's, it, you've got a monkey wrench this year with the Olympics, but for the most part, you can call it what you want, but we have a lot of you know, consensus about here are the biggest events, whether it's the majors, WGC, players, the FedEx Cup playoffs, the race to Dubai, and then, you know, we got to figure out the semantics of the rest. But I don't think that, I, I think there's a lot of animosity involved with this French Open Bridgestone debacle. All right, from one serious topic, Tiger Woods, another serious topic, scheduling. Let's go to the other serious topic over Spring the Spring break. There you go. SB 2K16. Are you kidding me? How planned out was this? I mean, you got a hashtag and everything. That's how you know hashtag. it's serious. You throw the hashtag oh, sorry, hashtag. Yeah. SB 2K16. Yeah, it just rolls off the lips, doesn't Perfect. it? Perfect. Uh, you know what? And, and obviously, this is Jordan Speed. Jordan hitting right there. Uh, Ricky Fowler put this together. A group of guys hanging out in the Bahamas. It includes Smiley Kaufman and Justin Thomas. And I was struck by this, and I usually don't spend as much time on social media as I probably should. I couldn't it's stop. It's accurate, by the way. Yeah, I know. But I couldn't stop looking at this, simply because those guys are doing what 20-something should be doing. They're having fun. And I know a lot of people probably looked at that, particularly their agents, who saw some of the things <laughs> they did and probably rolled their eyes and, oh, no, don't jump off that balcony. And all the things that... 20-somethings do. And, and it's good to see them out having fun. I, I don't have a problem with it at all. It was really entertaining, I thought. I still want to know what was on uh, Ricky Fowler's lost day of Snapchats. So we'll always, we'll always uh -huh. wonder the day Fowler's phone died. I will say this. There is one segment, and I don't know if we can run it, but there is one segment where uh, they're actually doing the, the chunk wedge shot that Jordan hit on 12 at Augusta to yeah. lose the Masters, basically. And, and look, of everything they did, and it seems like it was a lot of fun, it was all in good, good day, it was too soon. For that. I, I've lost the matches soon. to you, yes. and I don't want to hear it a week later. There, there has Especially to be for Smiley. Smiley was, had the front row seat there. Oh, yeah. Augusta National. He was watching. And for those two guys to sit there and make fun of Jordan, That's great, and how far, I mean, that, it's too soon, man. Oh, you gotta, good for him. You gotta, you know, you gotta you, laugh. There's got to be some distance, man. <laughs> give, him a couple, give him a couple months. Well, Let's do this next year. Smiley was the MVP probably because of that. Well, he was clearly the MVP. SB2K17 is when you bring up the, the chunk oh. web shot. I, I think that's when, maybe after one of those guys, Jordan probably has another green jacket, then okay, we can laugh about this. Too soon, man. Is the, soon. Is the credentialing process open yet for Baker's Bay 2017? Is <laughs> yeah. We got to talk to. Some, when I talk to the World Golf Tour to figure out a lot uh, of embargoes yes. and then, uh, my what, what the media dining is going to be like in Baker's Bay yeah. next year. Fowler had to have had this in his head, though, because he's such a social media guy, and uh, you know. Well, we saw the, we really saw the text from Rory. He sent to Rory, Rory three weeks bomb. ago that he invited him, and he said, "Oh, he's hanging out on another island with his fiance," and he's like, "Man, I'd rather be there." Yeah. How about can't say that. First world problems. Hopefully yeah, she's not exactly following right. on Twitter. I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't see uh, uh, Charlie Hoffman doing that, but wow, what a Sunday <laughs> it was for him. You think about how much difficulty he had had on Sundays, and here's a guy who has now won over $20 million playing golf. It's amazing. I mean, Thursday, Friday, Hoffman's incredible, but he came into this event 200 out of 201 players in final round scoring, and he comes through on Sunday with a 69. Yeah, and he said starting on Thursday, like, this was something he was thinking about going into the week. He had played well last week at Heritage, and it didn't play, didn't pan out over the weekend. But he said after an opening 66 on Thursday, listen, I know they're not handing out the trophy for three good rounds. I need to put four good rounds together. So it was clearly something that was on his mind, and it was something that was weighing on him. And for him to come down the stretch, make the clutch up and down on 16, save par with a, a tough two-putt on 17, and then get up and down after, after Patrick Reed almost dunked it from 80 feet on him. He knew he had to get up and down for the win, and, uh, and he did it.
That stat's amazing it's to me. It's incredible. 43 under on that golf course. I mean, it's not as though that he's playing the Bob Hope in 43 under over the, you know, the career builder in doing that. I mean, that, 29 shots better than the next guy. I mean, he just loves that course. Listen, we knew before this that you, if you lay out top five horses for courses of the PGA Tour the entire season. Them? Yeah, I picked them. Did you? Yeah. He was number two in the GolfChannel.com power rankings, right? Did he really? Behind only Jimmy Walker. Yeah, he, he, he was six straight top 13 I finishes. I trust him, Adam Purple. Go pull up. We'll pull up the, the fantasy video from last week. I'll send it over to you. that in honor of, of Prince? That's, that's very moving. I did not, but I should. That's, now that's I can say that. That's good. I like that. Too but, soon? Well, yeah. No, he was wearing it in honor of Prince. I wasn't making a but joke But yeah, so this it. is two weeks in a row, because you talk about Luke Donald at Harbortown. Absolutely, he's one of the best horses for courses. And then you get Charlie Hoffman here. It's Charlie Hoffman and Freddie Yock. Great one-and-done picks from TPC San Antonio. Real, real quick, I would want to do SP hashtag 2K17 with Charlie Hoffman. Would you? And Pat Perez. Can you imagine how much fun that would be? Now, we're probably not going to be in the Bahamas. It would be a little different. It would be a different trip. It would be, yeah. it would probably be Cabo. Like would be my sipping guess. on scotch, not yeah. my ties. The best part about all that, and you don't get this very often. So, but to start the week, he started 22nd on the U.S. points list for the Ryder Cup and he moved up to 12th. And you get a tweet from the captain. That's got to be a pretty, yeah, Davis Love tweeted him back. And that's got to be a pretty encouraging sign. Yeah, but he misspelled his name. Well, <laughs> so we can't we can't have everything. Well, I think you're I think you're being cut he's a 21 off time tour winner. He's not, not won a spelling bee anytime right. soon. This week in golf, a uh, lot to look forward to uh, at the top of the list. I mean, come on, you're in New Orleans or basically New Orleans. You're not, but Ryan Lavner is. I'm sure. <laughs> yes, good luck to the Crescent himself. City. Lavner's yeah. coming at you. What are you looking forward to the most? Uh, I love this event. Uh, my wife and I were actually uh, married in New Orleans, so we, uh, we go back there a couple times a year. Sentimental moment. Yeah, sentimental moment. So I, I do love that event, and it's always they always come up with an inspirational winner. A few years ago, Jason Bone won. I always feel like they, they end up... Not so much the guy you would expect to win, of course, Justin Rose. So, as, as they Jason, play the Justin Rose montage right. last Jason year. Jason Day's won. I mean, not, you know, you, the, you expect those guys to win, but there's always a, you know, an emotional element to this. So I, I do like it. It's a good week. Yeah, this is kind of the week. Listen, the, the top players, there's there's some good names in this field, but a lot of guys are still trying to get that breather before the se the schedule really goes downhill, starting the sawgrass. And this is the week you saw Chad Collins last week come out of nowhere, finish third, really take a big step toward his card. This is the sort of week where you can see that sort of happening again. So I'm not allowed to ask you because you're going to make your picks separately. So that, Ooh, let's that roll. cannot let's happen. Who are you going to pick? Just out of curiosity. Wait a minute. Go ahead. Uh, so here you go. Here's some intel. Luke Guthrie's caddy's fiance. Tweeted that she thinks that they're going to play well this week. And so that's Luke what you're basing your pick on. Luke Guthrie, go yeah. with Group Four. You heard it first here on GolfChannel.com. It is. Uh, listen, I mean, it's a top heavy. It's top heavy. You got a lot of the Zurich guys. You got Jason Day is going to play well because he plays well everywhere. Justin Rose, the defending champ. Uh, you know, I think that he's going to play well as well. But it's a course where you got to go low. This is not TPC San Antonio. This is you need to shoot 67 just to keep pace. They usually have some weather involved. The conditions are soft, and uh, you got to get to about. 17, 18 under par. Well, and I think it's a good thing. I think guys appreciate it. I mean, let's face it, they've come off some hard weeks. I mean, Augusta was not easy. I mean, they had really, really difficult conditions there. Hilton Head, they ended up with some windy conditions over the course of the week, and last week's just so difficult. So this is this is almost like that turn yeah. before you get into that final stretch. Because then next week, Quail Hall is going to kick in the teeth. It definitely will. saw Justin Rose win last year. We just saw some images of Jason Day, obviously, a pretty good golf course for him. You think of Rose, long ball hitter, pretty long, uh, high ball hitter. Um, Jason Day, obviously, much of the same, and We've seen him sort of develop into this aggressive style. Um, it, he likes to challenge the golf courses, and this is certainly one that fits that mold. And you look at the golf course, a Pete Dye design, and I think there's a lot of bits and pieces of it that look a lot like TPC Sawgrass. And so you'll see guys start hitting shots that we'll see in a few week at the, weeks at the players. I would agree. Before we go, 
We're coming up on a big birthday for yeah. my fellow Arkansan, J.D. I'm Boy. actually going down to Insperity, where he is making his PGA Tour Champions debut. Go Hogs. I, uh, go Ooh. Hogs. That's right. I actually sat down with him. We're going to do some stuff later in the week, but I sat down with him for a couple hours. During the week at Augusta, went into the, the RV and spent some time with him there on Washington Road in front of the Hooters restaurant. And <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It's, it's amazing to see that... Uh, even at 50, he has matured. There's no doubt about that. I mean, certainly, you know, he's gotten to the point in his life where the things that he has done certainly don't haunt him maybe like they would have at one point. But it was funny talking to him. I asked him his one regret, and he thought about it, and he goes, he has a 12-year-old son, and he said he's just like me, that he throws clubs, he likes to gamble a little bit on the golf course, and he goes, what do I say to him when he throws a golf ball on the golf course? It was very good. So I, I love that interview. Fair enough. I cannot think of a more anticipated 50th birthday in golf than maybe, I think you go back to maybe Fred Couples. But he is going to inject some personality and color yeah, into that tour, and he's going to bring out people. That's going to generate ticket sales. I think it's great for the whole for the whole crew. Look, he's it's, excited it's great about for it. golf. I yep. mean, and I've always said this, even though he's moving on, and maybe he'll still play some PGA Tour events. But there's one guy who on the PGA Tour next to Tiger Woods who could really push ratings if he was at the top of the leaderboard, and John Daly's that guy. And yep. so oh, I yeah. think that I think that he'll definitely generate some excitement. I was with him at, uh, at the PGA Championship couple years ago um, in Louisville and caddied for him in the Pro-Am. And, you know, we always think about John Daly as this long ball hitter and smashes it. I still say best hands ever in golf. Yep. Best short game I've ever seen. That's what put him over the top. That's he it. is going to be fun. Well, no, he's going to be fun, and he is going to play a little bit on the PGA Tour, but what got me is how motivated he is to, to start. The, I mean, he's looking at this as a second career as a mulligan, and you're right. He's going to inject a lot of life into that tour. You it's guys are, were kind of the loud mouth designs today. We were. Right. Yeah. We went, we went waste up. You brought it. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be a part of this Monday scramble. It Glad was fun. We'll see you next time. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's.